Whispering. Whispering. Whispering Streets. And here is Betty Davis. Hello. Janet Colton was just fitting the cover over her typewriter when a knock sounded on the door of her tiny office which was only a few steps removed from the hotel's lobby. A frown puckered her usually smooth forehead, and she hesitated briefly before she called, come in. And as the door opened, her mouth took on a straight line. But the young man who stood on the threshold was so red-headed and freckled and had such a wide, white-toothed grin that her frown almost smoothed out. The young man was well aware of the change in expression and seized his advantage quickly. I realize that you're just about to close up, Miss, uh, Miss, uh, <laughs> funny, I don't know what to call you. Your name isn't on the door. It just says public stenographer. My name's Janet Colton, and I have closed up. Oh, but I've got a job that's a must, really, and it won't take you very long. I'm sorry, but I can't oblige you this evening. Well, it's, it's, well, it's terribly important, Miss Colton. That's what everybody says when they come in at the last moment. I'll pay you twice your regular rates. The point is, I have an invitation to dinner and the theater, and it's already 6 o'clock and the show's a musical. The curtain rises promptly at 8.30. I promise you'll, you'll be finished with my job in less than five minutes. It's only a letter on one page and a four-line jingle on another page. You mean a poem? Oh, gosh, no, no, nothing so profound. I said a jingle. I'll let you in on a secret. Miss Janet, there's a contest, see? And it closes tonight at 7.30. And if I get my jingle in, well... How about it, Miss Colton? I explained I've got an engagement. Five minutes, Miss Colton. Just five minutes. Oh. Have you a copy of the letter or do you want to dictate it? And have you finished the jingle? Yes, to both questions. Now, the letter and the jingle are to be delivered to the address on the top of the letter. I'll give you extra money to have the envelope delivered by the hotel messenger service. Now, I said I'd pay double your regular rate, so how much do I owe you? Oh, I couldn't possibly charge you more than two dollars. I'll give you five dollars, plus money for the messenger. Let me see now. That should be about two dollars. Yes. All right, here you are, Miss Janet. A five-dollar bill and two ones. Five dollars is too much. Give me a cigarette. We'll call it square. I'm fresh out of cigarettes. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't smoke. Well, while you're typing the letter in the jingle, I'll get a pack at the cigar store in the corner, huh? Here are the rough copies of the jingle and the letter. I'll be right back. Oh, now, no, don't go yet. Wait until I've read them through for errors. Oh, I've gone over them a dozen times. They're okay. You're a doll, Miss Janet. Well, such a breezy young man. Letter's short enough. I told the truth about that. See, I'm enclosing a copy of the jingle. It will wind up our current deal, so I won't be seeing you again until the next job comes up. Sincerely yours, Red. Red suits him, but he didn't give me last name. Now, let's look at the jingle. <laughs> it's silly. doesn't make any sense at all. And on top of that, it... Come in. Well, you didn't lose any time, I must say. Oh, oh, Mr. Webster, I, I thought you were someone else. Oh, unfortunately, I'm myself. Uh, I brought two more chapters. Uh, look, Mr. Webster, I'll be out of here in a couple of minutes. I can't possibly do any more work on the book until tomorrow. I have a date for dinner and for the theater. Oh, you won't have curtain... to do any copying tonight. You can leave the two chapters in your desk drawer and start on them first thing tomorrow. Oh, well, I'll lock them in my filing cabinet, and then they'll surely be safe. Right at this moment, I'm so fed up with the whole lousy project, I don't care whether or not they're safe. 
Well, take my advice, Miss Colton. Never agree to be a ghost. This book on crime and applied psychology is the best writing I ever did or ever will do. But no byline. Uh, when can I come for the finished work, Miss Colton? Well, I'll be done by the late afternoon. Unless the chapters run unusually long. No, we don't. Well, thanks a lot, Miss Colton. Uh, I'll be seeing you. It's all right. Oh! What on earth was that? Well, probably a car backfiring. I guess I'm so anxious to get out of here, I'm jumpy. It sounded like a shot. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back again. But first, I sailed in an old four-stacker back in 1940. In those days, we could get service time credit towards Social Security only if our service time wasn't already counted in figuring out our military retirement or some other type of federal retirement benefit. But all that's been changed since the days of the old four-stackers. Now, service time counts for both Social Security and service retirement, which means two retirement checks instead of one when you fellows reach 65. Active service from 1951 to 1957 can be counted toward both retirement systems if you have had active service since January 1957, although Social Security deductions from servicemen didn't begin until that date. All future service time, of course, will be counted both ways. So today's serviceman can look forward to bigger retirement benefits. But perhaps more important is the double protection which the serviceman's family has in the event of his death. For besides Veterans Administration benefits, Social Security provides monthly checks to widows and minor children. Have you investigated your Social Security benefits? to our story with Betty Davis. Janet Colton copied the very short letter, but she knitted her brow over the jingle. It might pass for a jingle to a man like this Red, but a jingle, she told herself, should rhyme, and this one didn't. By the very word jingle had a tuneful quality. She read the words under her breath. Money that's buried under a rock, right next to a small cemetery, it's hardly ever just money alone. It can light up a great big moon. Well, that's the silliest thing I ever heard. I told him to stay until I read it through for errors, but he was so darn bullheaded. Well, when I was a kid, I used to write poetry just for a lark. So I can change this in a minute. I think he'll be very pleased when he comes back and reads it. He'd never win a prize with it the way it is now. Let me see. Money that's buried under a rock. He obviously meant to say stone, because stone and alone rhyme. Now, as for cemetery and room, oh, my goodness, they don't rhyme either. I could make the cemetery a tomb, and then... There now. Money that's buried under a stone... Right next to a very small tomb. Hardly ever just money alone. It can light up a great big room. Hmm. Well, it's gibberish at best, but at least it's better than it was. 
My goodness, he's been away almost ten minutes. It shouldn't take him longer than ten minutes to get cigarettes. If I'm late for dinner in the theater, I'll... I'll never forgive him. Janet read the name and address on the top of the letter. She typed it neatly on an envelope and then sat waiting for the reappearance of the man named Ed. Every two minutes, she glanced down at her watch. And finally, her foot began to tap. And... This is some sort of a practical joke. Oh, how I hate practical jokes. I could kill Red. If he hadn't paid me, I'd, I'd tear up the letter and jingle and throw them in the wastebasket and get going. But as it is... Well, I can't wait any longer, that's for sure. It's 6.30 now. I'll leave a note on the door saying that I've left and that I've sent the letter by one of the hotel messengers as he suggested. That's all I can do. Angrily, Janet powdered her nose and applied lipstick to her mouth. It was even more of a straight line than it had been. She went out to the message desk, the envelope in her hand, and asked how soon a boy could deliver the envelope. And a supercilious young man who stood in the back of the desk shrugged. This is the dinner hour, Miss Colton, unless you've forgotten. I haven't forgotten. Quite the contrary. The two of the messengers are dining, and another one's out on an errand. How soon can you deliver the envelope? Eight o'clock at the very earliest. Oh, well, but good heavens, the contest's over at 7.30. Contest? What contest? You wouldn't understand. Well, I'll deliver it myself. There's no help for it. Thanks for nothing. Oh, that's quite all right, my dear Miss Colton. Always glad to be of service. Fortunately, the address on the envelope was not too much of a detour from the restaurant in which Janet was meeting her date. She paused in a phone booth and called the restaurant and had them paged and explained the situation and then went outside and hailed a cab and gave an address to the driver. The cab stopped at a dim brownstone house on a side street. She told the driver to wait and rang the bell, and the door opened immediately. It was almost as if somebody had been watching for her. Well, what is it? I'm delivering an envelope from a man named Red. From Red? Who are you anyway? It's none of your business who I am. Come in. Be quick about it. Let go of my arm. Just keep quiet, lady, till I've read what's in that envelope. I'm in a hurry. I'm going to dinner and then to the theater. Maybe the you are night. and maybe you ain't, miss. That remains to be seen. Give me the envelope. I am enclosing a copy of the jingle. It will wind up our current deal, so I won't be seeing you again until the next job comes along. Until then, red. Okay, now for the jingle. I insist. I must leave. I have a date for dinner and the theater with... with my boyfriend. Your boyfriend? Well, he can wait a while and like it. Money that's buried under a stone right next to a very small tomb is hardly ever just money alone. It can light up a great big room. It's a perfectly ridiculous rhyme. Well, you've read it now, so I'll be on my way. Oh, no, you won't. You're waiting, kid, until I've made a phone call. Hello? Right there? Kissy. Oh, all right. I'll call Charlie. 
Sure, put him on. Sure. Yeah, this is Steve Martin. Look, Charlie, I got that full rhyme. I'll read it to you. <laughs> Red always has to do things the hard way. Look, money that's buried under a stone right next to a very small tomb is hardly ever just money alone. It can light up a great big room. Well, you know what that means. Yeah, get in touch with Russ. He's waiting in that tavern about half a mile from the cemetery. You know. Tell him to call me back when he's got it. No. Red was supposed to send it by messenger. But a girl brought it. Kind of cute girl. Red's been holding out on us. Okay. I'll keep her here until I've heard from Russ. You said you'd keep me here until you heard from Russ, whoever he is. How long will that be? Half an hour. An hour. It all depends. This is an outrage. Let me tell you this. Red's only Red, and Charlie's only Charlie, and, and Russ is just Russ. But I have your whole name, Mr. Steve Manton, and your address. And as soon as I get out of here, I'll make it hot for you. Make it hot for me, will you? Lady, you talk too much. I may have to keep you here lots longer than I expected. Oh, that's what you think. If you don't let me go soon, the taxi driver will come to the door and ask what's keeping me. And I'll yell for help. And you sure are a dumb broad. Tipping me off twice. Hey, driver! The lady ain't going any further. So I'll pay you. <laughs> just a moment, Betty Davis will be back. Did you ever stop to realize that four American coins show us the importance of elections? The first one is the Washington Quarter. It was George Washington who reminded us that on the unity of our government depends our independence, our peace at home and abroad, our safety, prosperity, and our freedom. The second coin is the Jefferson Nickel. It was Thomas Jefferson who said, no government can continue good but under the control of the people. The third coin is a penny bearing the likeness of Abraham Lincoln, who said, Among free men, there can be no successful appeal from the ballot to the bullet. And finally, the Roosevelt dime reminds us of something Franklin D. Roosevelt once said. Every man and every woman in this nation, regardless of party, will have the right to register and to vote and the opportunity to register and to vote, have also the sacred obligation to register and to vote. These four Americans, by recognizing the importance of elections, added another page to your political history. And now back to our story with Betty Davis. Jan told herself, he's right, I am dumb. If the taxi driver had come to the door, I'd have been in the clear, but now. She sat stock still, hating Red, hating Steve, hating the unknown Russ and Charlie, most of all, hating herself. Until the door swung open and Steve stepped through and closed it and shot the bolt in place. Well, that's that. Now all we gotta do is wait. You play gin? No, I don't. I detest cards. And if this is some sort of practical joke... It ain't no joke, you'll find that out. 
What gives with you and Red anyhow, uh, you Red's girl? I certainly am not. I'm engaged to an honest man who upholds the law. I wouldn't have anything to do with a crook. Lay off calling names if you know what's good for you. All the girls in the world, why did he have to pick you to carry his messages? How about some music on the radio? No. No, no! I was going to a musical tonight. I've wanted to see it ever since it opened a year ago, but the tickets have been at a premium. It was only just this morning my friend called to say he had a pair of them and... I hate you! Hate you! Hate you! It's mutual, lady! Oh, I've always told myself there wasn't a dish anywhere that I couldn't learn to like. But you're the exception. <laughs> Minutes ticking away. Somewhere a clock struck seven, and years later it struck the half hour. And Jan started to cry, and Steve glared at her. Uh, anything I hate worse than a sourpuss dame is a mournful dame. That'll be Russ now. Hello. That's your Russ. Hello. Oh, for crying out loud. It wasn't Russ. Nah, it was a wrong number. Well, whether you like it or not, I'll get us some music. What the heck do you want? Open up. Make it snappy. Is it the police? Janet Colton was up out of her chair, her arms outstretched as a good-looking young fellow in a gray flannel suit stepped into the house. No, he wasn't an advertising man. He was her man. He held the gun in his right hand, and with his left, he fumbled in his pocket and produced a shiny pair of handcuffs. Uh, here, Jan, take these bracelets. And hold out your hands, Mr. Matten, and be quick about it. Yeah, yeah, I've got you covered. Why, you... Clap them on, Jan. You know how. That a girl. That wrong number. It was you on the phone. Sure. I was in the corner drugstore. Well, how'd you get the number? It's unlisted. My girl gave me the address when she phoned. The rest was easy. When she phoned? But she hasn't been within a mile of the phone. I phoned him before I came here. Well, I had to explain why I was late, didn't I? I said I was stopping off at this address to deliver a letter a man named Red had given me. I told Dick about the letter and the jingle. You know, Jan's the trusting type, but I had a hunch there was something strange going on, so I called the lieutenant at my precinct station. You called your precinct station? Then you're... I told you I was engaged to a man who upheld the law. Mm. Dick's out of uniform because he's taking me to the theater. At least, he was. Oh, I'm still taking you, Mavourneen. Uh, we'll have to skip dinner, but we'll eat later. Well, I called the precinct station, and they told me they had Red. 
They winged him just as he was leaving the hotel to get some cigarettes. Oh, they said... it wasn't a car backfiring. It was a shot, I heard. He's dead? Oh, heck no. He's in the hospital under police guard. He was able to give us the whole setup, including the rock near the cemetery gate and the location of the cemetery. Of course, we had news of the jewelry store being robbed. Not only of money, but of sparklers. We contacted the local men in the town that's nearest the cemetery, and they nabbed your pal Russ. He was busy digging near a little tomb, but he hadn't found what he was after. The red hit the loot, and then he rode the clues in a, in a full jingle. He's read too many mystery stories, Red has, and... Why did he give us a bunch of false clues? Hmm. Well, he... he didn't. You see, the way Red had it. Well, he said a rock near a small cemetery. I changed the words so they'd rhyme. Rock to stone and cemetery to tomb. And if you hadn't, Russ would have found the loot and been miles away by now. Yeah, looks like you get a reward, Jan. Didn't know I was going to marry a rich girl. <laughs> well, come on. We'll drop this look at the station house and I'll write out my report. Then we'll go on to the theater. I want to see the first act curtain go up. sometimes makes a pest of herself, especially when she's with normally disorganized menfolk. But sometimes she saves both the bacon and the diamonds. You remember the young man, Conrad Webster, who came into Janet's office to have some chapters typed? He described himself as a ghostwriter. Why was Conrad Webster a ghost? That's the question. And for whom was he doing a job of ghostwriting? Here is Betty Davis to tell you more about Conrad Webster. A ghost writer is an unfortunate person. He carries a big load of responsibility and lets the credit go somewhere else. Will you hear why Conrad wrote a book for another man and the strange events that happened after the book was published? Until then, this is Betty Davis saying goodbye from the Whispering Street. Today's program was written by Margaret E. Sangster. Featured in the cast were Jane Webb, Luke Krugman, Jerry Hausner, and Jack Moyles. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is George Walsh. Streets has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.